Welcome to the Grow Strong Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I interview business leaders who are committed to their own growth and the development of everyone on their team. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I always love bringing to you people who are focused on their own growth and development and also dedicated to helping bring out the best in others so they are able to achieve their full potential. And that's also the focus of our company. We create books and tools that help people connect more effectively with each other in the workplace. And you can learn more about us at growstrongleaders.com. Today, I'm just very excited to bring a special guest to you. Her name is Marie-France Lechasseur. And Marie-France, I want to welcome you to my show. Thank you, Meredith, for inviting me. Well, it's really happy to be with everyone today. Thank you. Marie France is a human resources business partner, and she's also a competency director in learning and development at Michelin. She groups her career experience into three phases that she likes to call 333. And I just love this. It's, it's kind of fun and easy to remember since it's so easy, I think, for us to remember threes. So first of all, she's worked in three countries, France, Canada, and the United States. And she's worked in three types of environments. The first was book clubs and stationery, and then packaged goods at L'Oreal, and now manufacturing at Michelin. And she's also worked in three fields, marketing, learning and development, and most recently, human resources business partner. So Marty France, Thinking about your career, talk about where you have been in terms of some of these positions and roles and where you are today. Um, I mean, I, I've been, it's, been a, uh, it's been an interesting uh, career over time. Uh, uh, never expected to, I uh, never expected that marketing actually would bring me into an HR role. Um, Sometimes things happen for a reason. I ended up, um, um, I ended up uh, still a mission at that time. I ended up being pregnant when I was in Europe and overseas, and they they uh, sent me back home in Canada. And um, something came up uh, during my maternity leave, and say, Marie, would you be willing to take your exper- expertise in marketing and bring it? to other folks that we want to train when they join the mission environment. And that's how I ended up shifting my career as a marketer into, into HR, which I never, never left. So I've been in HR now for the past, I've been a mission for over 22 years. And I've been in HR, I would say, um, more than 12 years now. Um, and live the moment and enjoy every aspect of it. You know, it's so interesting. Those seem to be very diverse areas, marketing and human resources. And yet, I know you've used your skills in marketing in this whole area of being an HR business partner. So talk a little bit about the mindset, the strategies that were have really been valuable for you in, in applying them in a whole different area. 
in fact, um, uh, when we deal in marketing, we, we look at the people and we use, uh, it's the science of understanding people, in fact. And we look at them and that's how we define what would pay, what would be the best product for these type of people based on how they, you know, who they are and what they do and what they prefer. Well, it's interesting when I deal with people and I try to define what would be the best type of training or the best job for them, I do a lot of assessment of who they are as a person. And the same, we always say we need to put the person, the customer in front of us and be customer focused. Well, in my case, uh, in HR, the customer is the employee. Uh, and the technique that we use in marketing are exactly the same that we would use or that I would use in the HR um, that I've leveraged over time by doing some research, understanding what is the insight behind the driver or the behavior of some individual. Uh, what, why do they react this way when we implement a policy and how do they react to a new policy, which when we compare, we launch a product, we say, how, why would these people react this way when we introduce a new product? Um, it's for me the same type of um, mechanism that we put in place and I used it and I still use it every day, in fact. Um, when I ask questions to the employees, um, I try to put the employee at the center of the conversation um, so that I can better help because I think the job of a marketer is to help customer um, uh, understanding what they really want. Well, in HR, it's the same thing. By asking the right question, you try to understand as much as possible what they really want um, in their career evolution and their daily in, the, in their daily work. So um, customer focus is what I would say is the primary thing that we need to have. And after that, how you use segmentation, because not everyone is built the same way, obviously. Mm -hmm. So we have different type of personality. So segmentation is really a good way of addressing um, the different individual and put them in a cluster uh, when we build programs to support them. Because we try to be as much as possible, uh, and we try to customize as much as possible, but it's not always possible. So we try to build cluster um, mm -hmm. to address a specific segment of people. You know, that's so interesting. Uh, I'm used to thinking of segments of markets, but not so much segmentation in, in looking at within the group of employees, what are some ways that you change programs that you offer? Or, or maybe let's back up and look at what are some of the different segments you, you see within the employee population? And then how do you create programs that address those various segments? Well, let's use today the millennial. Okay, or actually the new uh, generation after Z, there is a new generation now. And Z, mm -hmm. And um, they are not, first of all, they're not learning the same way at all. So, um, I deal with older population because I've mentioned the average um, time in the company is about 20 years. So mm -hmm. we do have people of a certain age versus new, you know, new employees and right in fact, last week it was in Europe. We were talking about 
And I was arguing with some of my colleagues that are slightly older that you cannot keep doing face-to-face training. They want to have something where they can practice right away um, and learn when they can at the moment they are available so that they can have a coach behind them that's going to help them grow. Mm. And they say, therefore, spending three days in a classroom is no longer what they enjoy. So we need to be able to balance and that's what I say, segmentation. We need to be able to adapt and have different kind of trainings based on the population that we're targeting. And some people would be way more comfortable face-to-face when other um, requested having everything available on their phone with someone that they can reach out if they have questions. Mm-hmm. So it's totally different, the same content, but provided in so many different ways. And that's where the notion of segmentation becomes key. Mm-hmm. Because if I were to offer the same type of training to two different population, the reaction and the success will not be the same. And that's where the segmentation yeah. for me becomes key. And I use my expertise in marketing to say, no, they have different needs. They have different vision. They have different requirements. We need to be able to adapt. And it's easy because the content is the same. It's a delivery that becomes different. Mm-hmm. That's such a great point and an important one as people are looking at, as you said, just different age groups within an organization and what's the best way to structure the learning so that it's more likely to have the impact that you're hoping for it to have. I'm curious with once you've provided initial training, is there a difference in the follow-up that's provided with, say, older workers versus younger workers? The, uh, the younger worker, uh, they, in fact, they, do, they really don't want to spend too much time learning in class. Uh, they want to actually be able to practice by themselves and reach out to someone where in the case of someone of a, I will take um, the, what we call the ding, the double income new kids. <laughs> it's almost a generation slightly older. Um, they, they deep dive and they want to be able to exchange with a group of individual in a defined environment. So their, their, their take is more understanding because they have a lot of experience. So they, they wanna know how they can put their experience into the context of what they're learning. And that's where they prefer to do it in class because they wanna hear, they wanna share what they've done and what they learn over time and how the, the trainer can help them change some, I don't wanna say some bad habits, but some old habits mm-hmm. into something slightly different where again, in a younger scope, they want to see right away what's the big picture. Let me see if I can do it. Um, and I'll come back to you if, I'm, if I have some issues. And a lot of time, in fact, they're looking for tutorial. They don't even come back to me. They said, you have a tutorial, I can do it myself. I've, mm-hmm. and, and again, so they request having more tutorial than anything else. Mm-hmm. And again, the older population not being comfortable with the learning by video they want to be reached out and they want to be able to express themselves in the classroom. So mm-hmm. it, it is, it is a, it's more consuming, mm-hmm. I would say for uh, the learn for people in my field, because it means that we have to have different type of delivery 
and also um, different time of accessibility uh, because one will actually do by chat where the other one will prefer to call. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it's just a different, it's just a different way of adapting. And I think once we understand that, um, the success rate is way greater. Yeah. And just thinking of different individual preferences and styles, you may have different populations that say, I want that one instead. So when you can give choices, it really helps address the specific needs of a given individual. And that's where I learned uh, um, today, I'm, I'm more focused on the new division of mission, which is service and solution. Uh, we're talking uh, internet of things, telematic and so on and so on, how the tire gets connected. Um, and the, we, I shouldn't say that, but we give the impression that we offer um, a choice you know, but in fact, we build different, I call that the pizza, the pizza offer. We build different bricks and based on those bricks, people, and again, that's the type of segmentation, people fall into one of the bricks. So let's imagine, and the way I explain it, the people, I say, okay, let's imagine you have a pizza and you do a selection. You have the white sauce and the red sauce. You feel that you, you're empowered to make a decision of what you want to have. So I pick the white sauce because I like it. Do you want cheese? Do you want meat? And, and so on and so on. So in fact, we have predefined module and, and as a learner, they can pick what they prefer based on how they feel and, they, and what they want to have. And they feel it's customized to them when in fact it's pre-customized mm. because it allows us to obviously save in time, but mm. also um, offering a vermizing by one. Um, one, one. That's how in my job I do it today. Pose that into a learning environment that is affecting certain cost aspect. Because um, at the end of the day, we still have a budget to respect, obviously. That's great. Well, I know one of the core elements of of, of that's within your culture is called the I care model. Correct. And I would <clears throat> love for you to describe what that is. How did it get created? And what important role does it play? So we, um, Mission has deployed uh, what we call the iCare model. It's an acronym. iCare for inspiring, uh, C for creating trust, A for awareness, R for result, and E for empowerment. Um, we deploy, we have deployed, started deploying this uh, model about two years ago. Um, this model is how we want the employee the culture of the it's the culture of the company, how we want the employee and the managers um, to be towards each other. Okay, um, behind those uh, behind this I care model, uh, we um, we develop obviously training to help the people say what it is to be inspiring, what it is to inspire others. Uh, how do we create trust? That will allow us as an employee to grow, and that would allow also uh, the company to project a culture of the type of environment 
we want the employee that comes to join us um, uh, feel, you know, what we are, what it's mission all about. So I care um, has been really good with the new acquisition. Part of my role as the HR um, business partner was to work with the acquisition. And we had a few acquisition in the past uh, few years. And one of the major aspects of the of um, instilling the culture was the eye care. They say they they understood right away the culture of the company and what we wanted to project as a company. Mm -hmm. And in fact, um, surprisingly, um, I'll be candid here. It's be actually it's it has been actually easier for the employees that we acquire than from for the employee of mission that have been in the company for X amount of years. Um, because it's because we're asking them to, in the E of empower and trust, we're asking them to change their behavior, their, their, their posture towards employees where we had been in a top-down organization. Mm. Now we're in a, more in a bottom-up organization. So it's been... Um, it's been well received, yet it's been a challenge. Um, and hey, I'm a 22 years in the company. Same thing for me when I say, well, I'm empowered to do that. What does that mean? How far can I go? And how far can I speak up? So, and sometimes you might face an employee manager that say, well, I don't, I don't agree with that type of behavior when in fact we're actually pushing people to be able to speak up to express themselves, to be responsible for the result of what they want to do and, and be accountable for their results. So it's been, uh, it's been a, quite a journey, but uh, it's, uh, it makes us better as an employee and obviously better as a manager, that's for sure, is knowing that we have this model that we can live by day to day. So uh, I would think that you would have... Uh, uh, and you can tell me in terms of the sequence, but you would have needed to get buy-in and adoption from leaders in order for them to model and make it safe for people to take on these new behaviors that they're not used to. Is that is that accurate? Correct. Correct. We started, uh, it, you know, when we say the company is a top-down, it's a manufacturing company, um, uh, Really, I don't want to say really military style, but there was a lot of people coming from the military environment. Um, it started with top down, bringing down to the manager, manager to the other manager and to the employees. Um, and yes, as a manager in the company, we have responsibility to make to ensure that we deploy that um, that model okay so it had been top down interestingly enough after two years it's becoming bottom up the employees are actually acknowledging managers that are truly i care mm. or they are also pointed out managers that are not you know being i care and say hey um you should let me do my job i understand what i have to do you do not have to uh, micromanage me. Empower, empowerment is let me be able to express myself. Doesn't mean we have the same opinion. So we're in a situation where actually the employees are bringing up some of the friction 
Ah. And some of the friction that we have with managers that have not done the switch. Everyone has to go by the ICA model. Um, and it's part of our assessment. We have 360 assessment. We have uh, a yearly assessment and like a moving forward together, which is an employee engagement within the company. And eye care is the foundation of that um, and that model. And if we are not respecting a certain level of achievement, uh, we are being asked uh, to um, be coach. So be coach and help you as a manager with your team mm -hmm. to ensure that you develop the eye care model. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of support. We do have a lot of support, but we do have a lot of resources also to help employees slash managers to mm -hmm. grow in that model. Because the strength of the employees, the strength of the company is the employee. Uh -huh. And Mission understood that from day one. And they feel that we can help us grow and get a better company if we help the employee be a better employee. That's great. Of course, that's a lot of what I'm all about with my podcast is focusing <laughs> on companies like Michelin that, are <clears throat> that truly understand how critical people are mm -hmm to their success. You were talking about this acquisition and I'm curious, what was it that made it easier for the folks from this acquired company to adopt the eye care model than the existing team already there? Um, the companies were acquired were smaller company. Uh, I mean, Mission has over 110,000 employees worldwide. Um, it's, by the way, this model was deployed worldwide. So the culture um, uh, the, the culture of a country is different from another country. So having a model that will be deployed and uh, appreciated uh, worldwide is quite a challenge. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's been quite successful, in fact. When I speak to my colleague in China, which have a different way of thinking, they understand the eye care model. Um, they understand the notion of result. They understand the awareness and, and the empowerment. It doesn't mean the empowerment in North America is the same as the one in China, uh, neither in Brazil, but they understand and adapt to their context of environment. Mm -hmm. And that's where the acquisition, the one that we acquire were 150 or 200 or 300 employees. It's a small model. It gave them a way of understanding the culture of a company as big as Michelin mm -hmm. and understand, um, first of all, the culture, but what they can be as a company. Um, when you buy startup, they, they, they don't have necessarily all the resources in place and they don't necessarily have a culture yet because everything is such a speed Mm. And, and moving super, super quick, that the notion of putting a culture comes slightly after. I always refer again to marketing at the, the, the Maslow pyramid, you know. You get at the top of the pyramid when you have, you know, satisfied the first basic foundation. Mm -hmm. And having a culture, culture of, of a company takes a little bit of time. And it's not at the beginning of a company that you're able to do all those Mm. all those um, mm -hmm. programs. So this program was well appreciated because it gave them a reason of 
a reason to believe yeah and also a and also a purpose altogether so it was the first thing that they really took and say oh i can recruit with this 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 purpose in mind it's easy to explain in fact that we are a small company inside a bigger company and that's what we convey as a group mm-hmm. well <clears throat> thinking about the fact that they didn't have this established way of doing things necessarily made it mm-hmm. easier for them I would think to adapt or adopt Correct. what Correct. you had put in place. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, over the years, I know that um, Michelin has acquired many different companies. And so when you're faced with really different cultures, like you were just describing China, North America, you could pick any two yeah. uh, countries. What are some of the things that that have been put in place because I'm just thinking of any company, whether they acquire other companies or not, they're bringing in employees, they're bringing in leaders who may be coming from very different backgrounds. And so this whole idea of integration applies in, in lots of different areas. What are some of the things you've done to make that go smoothly? First of all, an integration is never easy. Uh, from both sides, in fact, really never easy. Um, uh, from Michelin, trying to understand the company they acquire, a lot of time we acquire in a field that is not, um, f- we're not familiar, especially that we want to grow. Mm. Um, and, and the tire environment is, let's face it, limited. I mean, there are three or four major big companies and they are regrouping altogether or acquiring other tire companies. So it's becoming a smaller uh, market. So in order for us to grow and face a fe- the, the, feature, the, the future of growth, which is telematic and so on IoT, so we acquire companies that are totally outside of our scope of expertise. Mm. So the challenge for most of the manufacturing, I call it, I said the manufacturing tire people talking to these companies has been a challenge. Um, why why do they do that and they don't do that? Well, because their time of reaction is way faster than ours. Um, why do we take we take ten three to five years, sometimes ten years to introduce a tire? Depends. Uh, yeah, yeah, depends of the tire. If we talk about a tire that is for the mining, it will take about ten years to mm-hmm. build an, a new type of tire. A passenger. Um, if we're really, really lucky, could take 18 months, but in general, take three years. When you are in telematics, coming up with a software, coming up with a, um, what they call the little black box. I, I, I don't want to be technical. It takes about two months, three months. So when we put these two cultures together and say, oh my God, they're not reactive. Uh, the first question is, there is no way I can work together. They don't understand the speed of speed to market. So the challenge is for both companies to try to understand each other. And that's where a model like iCare become interesting because it doesn't affect uh, the work. It, it's all about the personality of the people. And at the end of the day, we're all human. We all have behavioral competencies and people want to work together. Really, they don't want to work together. See, I've never seldom, you know, see that the people don't want to work together they want to make it work mm-hmm. One, you know once we're past the shock of acquisition 
they want to try to work and a lot of time they want to learn from each other. I think what makes it successful, it's when we're willing to put our ego aside and try to understand each other. Mm -hmm. um, and some people are better than others uh, at that. And that's what we face. And, and I think once we start understanding that no one is trying to steal anyone's job, they're just trying to make it happen. Uh, it's unbelievable how it works well. But the challenge of merge acquisition is never easy. From a small company, they feel that they are basically the David of Goliath, mm. uh, and they don't have a word, when in fact, we a lot of time acquire them because of their expertise. And now we're facing the other's admission and say, yeah, but they're small, so therefore they should adapt. <laughs> so we're not going to customize everything based on the acquisition. So uh, my role has been to make sure that we understand each other better and then we can learn from each other and we can merge some of those practices into into a combination of both. Mm -hmm. So it's um it's it's not it, doing acquisitions not easy but it, it is really fun because you, it's a learning it's really a learning curve uh, for a HR you know business partner but also a learning curve for the employees and what they find a lot of time, a smaller company doesn't have all the resources that a big company would have. Mm. So what makes it positive for the smaller company is having access to a learning and development that they couldn't afford. Mm -hmm. uh, having access to an HR tool uh, that they couldn't afford. Uh, having access uh, to um, human resources individual that can help them grow in their career. Mm -hmm. Which, again, when you're a limited environment, uh, a lot of people are jack of all trade. They do in a smaller, smaller environment. In a bigger company, you have access to a lot of different resources. Yeah. So it's, uh, these are the positive side of, of what we can offer um, or what we can find from a big company to a smaller company. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I think is so great, too, this I care model that you've created provides a common language, a common value system for and the basis of having conversations that are respectful, that allow people to really hear each other out. And I think that an organization that hasn't taken the time to put in place that kind of structure or model is kind of... Um, I won't say blowing in the wind, but they don't have the, the continuity, the, the constant to point to and say, this is how we are with each other. And I think that that, when you face some of the challenges that you were just describing, it makes it easier uh, or maybe less painful to be able to resolve those differences because you have this common ground, this common way of relating. Would you say that's accurate? I totally agree, uh, Meredith. In fact, when we start talking to this company, their reaction would be, that's interesting because you're promoting um, creating trust, but you don't let us express ourselves and do things the way we think is the best way uh, of doing so. How do we how do we engage so that we can reach, you know, can reach an agreement here? Um, it allowed the company, the acquisition, to 
position themselves and stand to what they believe mm. behind a model. Uh, and I would advise any, you know, anyone or any listeners that they should have a purpose. Um, they, they, the company should have a purpose. And the I care model is a, it's a purpose that we stand behind. And it will also bring a, a, um, a message to when you start to recruiting what the company is all about. Mm. How, because more and more, whether we're young or slightly older, um, compensation is not the only thing that people are actually looking for. Right. They're looking, they're looking to find a company that will respect employee. And when you have this type of model and you can actually showcase this model uh, in event in different, you know, association, it proves what this company is all about and how we want to treat the people and how we want to be treated as an employee. Mm-hmm. So it, it is a really good business card uh, for recruiting, but also for engaging employees or any type of company yes. we, we acquire. Well, the other thing is, this isn't just a slogan. It's not just an acronym. You live each one of those words in the way people treat each other. And I'm, I, I'd love to hear, is there, uh, are there specific examples? Let's say when you're interviewing a candidate for a job and, and they ask about, well, what does that look like when you say inspired? How, wh- wh- give an example of where that comes into play in a given situation. Can you share just one idea about that? Yeah, in fact, when we, uh, when we recruit, and even when we do, we do a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of uh, what we do, staffing internally, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a good example, because I'm going to be transitioning into a position in Europe. And my first question to my future manager, in fact, was about trust. <laughs> Mm. Um, I was about trust because I have a way of working. Uh, I, I'm quite independent. And I say, I ask him, I say, I want to be sure that you understand that if you give me something to do, I usually do what I say. Um, how do you feel about, how do you feel about trusting me and empowering me? Um, and I give example of how I work. So in terms of even internally, working with future manager, um, these are, we have a bunch of questions, in fact, behind that, that demonstrate the behavior that we should have. Mm. So I used it in my interview uh, with my future manager to ensure that he could actually provide me the right set of answers, also environment. And, and we use the same externally. Can you give me example of, you know, how, when you need to do something, how you inspire people to follow you, mm-hmm. how you, you know, because you, you could put that mission in an environment where you're going to have to work uh, um, what we call um, indirect management. So in team, but don't direct report, which is way harder than yeah. um, managing people directly. How do you get to these people to be inspired, change their behavior to follow you? Mm-hmm. So I use those type of question in interview to see how the, if, the, if the individual is comfortable or not. It's not given to everyone to be behind eye care. It's something that you learn. Um, and, I mean, if you're born a natural leader, it's wonderful. 
but in many aspects, it's pretty rare. Uh, you can become a leader through time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you, you, can, you can identify where you're stronger or where you are your strength and work with that. And you can also see where the flaws are and help people um, improve in their weaknesses to become a better employee and a better manager. So while asking those questions, um, it doesn't mean that you will not be recruited. It tells you this is what we'll be focusing on. So mm-hmm. if you're not comfortable with that, um, be prepared because that will be requested. If you're not a team player, uh, part of the eye care model, there's a few behavior attached to each of the letter. And working as a team is a major requirement. Hmm. major requirement so if you're not comfortable with that uh, you might want to think twice about joining this type of environment Mm -hmm. so it's used as a way of testing the ground but also as also indicating what we're looking for yes I think that's so smart I just love the examples you gave and especially with you asking the questions of your future manager because that helps you see is this new role going to be a good fit for me based on the environment I'd be walking into. I think yeah. having those questions go both directions is, is a very powerful way of making sure the right person gets selected for a, a specific position. So thank you. For and let's face it, Meredith, it was not possible a few years ago. It was not possible a few years ago. And, uh, and the fact that we introduced this model, we feel confident enough that we can ask a question uh, and and we can um, we can actually ask people and manager. I feel empowered. I can ask a question. So I think it's a huge a switch mm-hmm. uh, and um, a huge evolution in our uh, culture, which I think is great, really great. And on top of that, I also asked my manager what was his result on his um, um, employee engagement because I uh, wanted to know where, you know, with who I'm dealing with mm-hmm. and what's going to be the strength or the, the, the weaknesses of the environment I'm going into. So, again, it's a, huge, it's a huge advancement in terms of the fact that we can ask those questions. And I think anyone should be able to ask those questions. Yeah. Uh, someone who's getting a new interview coming into the company should ask the question and say, what type of manager are you? And what are the things that you favor? Mm-hmm. And what are the things you consider as being weaknesses? I think people feel that they cannot ask those questions. In fact, they should. Because you're going to be, I don't want to say you're going to be stuck, but you're going to be spending about eight to 10 hours of your time in the office. So make sure that you work, you get an environment that you're comfortable with. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think it speaks so well to the feeling of safety that you've created with this model. There are so many other aspects of what's happened with your culture that are indirectly tied to each one of those letters, not directly, just because of the way people are being with each other in the process of interacting. Marie-France, this has been such a great conversation. I thank you so much for sharing what's possible with really big companies, more than 100,000 employees, no one should be discouraged about their ability to make a difference. It takes time, as you said. There are challenges. It's not quick and easy. But I think that 
the commitment you and the team there have made to looking for ways that you bring this to life. So it's not a slogan on the wall. It's really the way you are with each other that makes such a big it's It's a purpose. Uh, Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people are listening and watching Simon Sinek, but once you have a purpose and the company purpose is to provide a great environment to work with and for, Mm-hmm. And I care provide that type of environment. Um, it it's reassuring to to see that the company believes in the power of the employees, and and the power of growing, and and it's reassuring to know that the company is investing behind the eye care to support us in our development. Mm-hmm. I do not pretend to be the perfect manager, neither the perfect employee. Um, but I know I have resources to help me. Um, being a little bit more self, you know, awareness is a good one, self-awareness. In some cases, I know I react in a way, might be better if I react differently. So I've been asked to um, work on that. And therefore, I, I've been also provided resources to grow. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's what I tell people, ultimately at the end of the day, don't take it as a, as a, um, as a weakness, as something bad on, on your resume, take it as being positive because it means that they were willing to invest in you even more to make you a better individual. And, and I think that's what the people should be looking at and becoming a better individual altogether. Mm-hmm. That's great. What a wonderful note to end on. <laughs> uh, Murray France, tell people how they can connect with you and learn more about the great work you're doing there at Michelin. Absolutely. Well, for the next few weeks, I'm still in the U.S., but I think the best way to reach me is through my LinkedIn profile because uh, um, this one will not change. Uh, The location will change, but I will be reachable to that personal. It's my personal email usually. Uh, The mission email will not change either. It's just the phone number will not be obviously good in the sure. next. Uh, when, in three weeks from now, will no longer be good. So I would recommend that if people want to reach, uh, they can either um, use my business uh, email address or the one on LinkedIn that is uh, available to everyone. That's great, and we'll put your uh, LinkedIn profile link okay. in the show notes page for Super. you. Thank you so much for being with me today and sharing the great work you've been doing and all your experiences. I admire you and everything that you've done to grow, learn, expand, and incorporate the I care model yourself. Thank you. you. Just for the record, Mary, that I'm not, I'm not alone. There are a a group of people and I think they should be also, um, uh, uh, thanks for their work. Uh, there is a full team, in fact, at Mission that is trying to help the people develop their skills. So just want to say that I'm not by myself. There is oh, no. a full team and no. everyone is equally, if not more competent than me. So I just want to acknowledge their work as well. That's wonderful. Uh, Thank you. That's a tribute again to who you are. Absolutely. Uh, and, and recognizing it truly is a team effort. Thank so Thank you again. Thank you, Meredith. Coming and for being with me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, I wish you a happy, a wonderful uh, Tuesday and great afternoon to everyone. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. 
Now head over to growstrongleaders.com and check out our two books, Connect With Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. While you're there, download the free facilitator guide to find out how to implement our unique peer coaching system. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.